go to Matthew 20. Just, uh, just one more time because I want Jesus to get the glory. Can we give him a, just a, a round of applause and say thank you, Jesus, that you healed people tonight? You healed people tonight. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I especially felt, Ronnie, tonight that you're, whatever's going on in your stomach, that if there's any other folks here that have stomach problems tonight, before you leave here, I just believe that God's going to begin to totally heal that. So if you have indigestion problems or you have um, anything going on in your stomach, diverticulitis, those things, you've been diagnosed with that, I just believe he's going to heal you tonight, okay? Um, I want to tell you a couple stories, and I'm going to read this story from the book of Matthew, and we're just going to explore God's grace tonight. You know... Uh, <laughs> One of the great things about God's grace that we talked about last week is, um, is, is how it go, always goes beyond the boundaries that we have for it. And so part of a, mess, a proper message on grace, it should stretch you a little bit. Okay, it should stretch your theology, it should stretch your understanding of God and his love and his character towards us. And so there was a, there was a chaplain of the Senate years ago, and I want to start with a story. His name was Ever, uh, Edward Everett Hale, and he was a chaplain in the U.S. Senate. And someone once asked him, uh, Dr. Hale, do, do you oftentimes pray for the senators? Do you pray for the senators as the chaplain of the Senate? Do you pray for the senators? And, and he replied, no. He said, I, I look at the senators and then I pray for the country. <laughs> Anybody ever feel that way about sometimes our government? <laughs> he said, no, I look at the senators and I think, gosh, I, I need to pray for the country. And so uh, even, even the U.S. Senate needs grace. Amen. <laughs> Even our government needs grace. Even our president needs grace. And so each and every one of us, God has, has, has made available to us grace. And so if you don't understand grace and it's been made available to you, you really can't begin to operate and live your life according to that unless you understand it, right? Are you with me? If you don't understand it, you can't live your life according to it. And so when you understand God's grace, you will respond to him and, and, uh, and his love for you in a way different than if you don't understand his grace. And I always, when I find an angry Christian, I always find somebody who doesn't really understand God's grace. Everyone in this room is going, am I an angry Christian? <laughs> well... If you have to ask yourself that question, we might, no, no one's angry in here. But if every time I find somebody I think that's a Christian, that I think to myself, wow, they're, they're an interesting person to be around. Not uplifting, if you know what I mean. I always find somebody that doesn't really understand grace. So um, hopefully last Wednesday we got a really good jump start, and tonight I want to kind of finish a little bit of this, and I want to tell you this story, and then we're going to read Matthew chapter 20 in a moment. Uh, but this is a great story. There was a, there was a longtime mayor of New York City, and part of this I'm going to read because I don't want to get the details wrong. I just love the story. Um, there's a longtime mayor of New York City, and his name was Fiorello LaGuardia. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of LaGuardia Airport, but it wasn't just a, an Italian name they picked out of the air. They actually named it after this mayor. And uh, it was during some of the worst days of our country, the Great Depression, World War II, that he was the mayor of New York City. And he was called by a lot of New Yorkers, he was called Little Flower because he was only about five foot four. 
and he always wore uh, a lapel with a carnation in it. And so he was a really colorful character. And some of the things I read a bunch of different accounts of him, some of the things he would do is he would ride along with the fire trucks. This is the mayor. He would ride along on the fire trucks. He would, he would, uh, he would, um, I wrote a couple things down. He would, he would raid uh, speakeasies at the time with the police department. He'd go into the speakeasies with them. He would, uh, which are like bars, essentially, for folk, those folks who don't know what a speakeasy is. He would, he, would, he would go and take an entire orphanage to a baseball game. He just would pull up in an orphanage on a night for a baseball game with a bunch of tickets, and the kids would jump in the car, and they'd go to a, a Yankees game or a Mets game or whoever the baseball team was at the time. And uh, whenever, whenever, um, whenever the New York, like the New York newspapers were on strike, which they did a lot during this time, he would go on the local radio station there in New York City, and he would grab a copy of the funnies that the, you know, like the comics that my grandma used to call them the funnies, um, <laughs> but the, the comics, and he would get on the radio and he'd read the comics to the kids because they weren't getting their newspapers delivered because the newspaper was on strike. And so this was the type of Mary was. And he, had, he was just notorious. And one time he, he pulled up uh, at night to, to there was a, they used to have night court back then because a lot of working people couldn't come to court. And so it was in January of 1935, he turned up at court. And because he was the mayor and these folks worked for him, he told the judge, you have the night off. I'm going to be the judge tonight. And he sat at the, uh, uh, there up there at the, whatever they call that, you, some of you folks know more by experience than I do about this, <laughs> the bench, yes, the bench, thank you, Dr. J. He sat at the bench there with his gavel, and he sat there, and he, he began to hear these cases, and there was an old woman who came in, and she, was, oh, she was, had tattered clothes on, and they brought uh, her before him, and she had stolen a loaf of bread from a local, um, rest, or from a local um, bakery. And she told um, Mayor LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had left her daughter, and he was the only man in the house and the only income. And he had left her and her daughter, and her daughter became very sick. And her two grandchildren were there, and the four of them were starving, and they had no income. Her daughter was sick, was ill, they couldn't figure out what was going on. And she said, I, I stole the loaf of bread to feed my daughter and my grandchildren. I didn't know what else to do. And so the shopkeeper, who was very upset, he, he refused to drop the charges. And he said to the mayor, he said, if you drop the, this is a true story, you can, you can look it up, it's great. He said, if, if you drop the charges, mayor, and you don't punish her in some way, this is a real bad neighborhood that my bakery's in. And the other thieves are going to think that they can get away with things. So you have to punish her. And he refused to drop the charges. And so uh, LaGuardia was kind of upset, but he, he, he said, well, you know, that's the law, and, and, and I guess I can't make any exceptions. So he said, he said, he said here's the deal. The, the fine at the time, or the jail time at the time, was that what she would have to pay $10, which at the time was, was a lot of money, especially during this, this 1935 he said, you have to pay $10. It was the middle of the Great Depression. $10 was like, would like be 10,000 dust right now. Or spend 10 days in jail. And as soon, literally, as that came out of his mouth, as he was saying those words, he reached into his pocket. I don't think I have $10. I need a raise, apparently. I think I have like seven. We'll just use this $5 bill. And he pulled out that $10 out of his pocket. And he gave it and he paid the fine. 
And see, that, that whole concept is like, some of, some of us would have loved to have had that happen to us, right? In some situations, we'd love to have that happen. And so he put, takes that out and he takes it. And as soon as he got done paying it, that, that, that amount, he looked around the courtroom and he says, as the mayor, I'm going to impose a civil fine on everyone in this courtroom. And it was a full courtroom with a lot of cases to hear. And she was one of the first ones to hear that he heard. And he says, for every person in this courtroom that lives in this neighborhood, I'm going to fine each of you 50 cents. And the fine is for allowing a woman to get so desperate that she has to steal a loaf of bread in your neighborhood to feed her own children. And he says, so as the citizens of this neighborhood, I'm going to find you. And the paper the next morning reported that he collected $47.50, which was like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And the bailiff collected that money, and then he said, I want you to give it to her. And so bailiff gave her $47.50 that night. She left there not having to pay the fine, not having to go to jail, and the equivalent to us today of thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Now, what's my point in telling you that story tonight? Because when he paid the fine, he showed mercy. He showed her mercy. In other words, he said, I know you've done something wrong, but I'm going to take the penalty. I'm going to pay the penalty for you. And that was his mercy. But grace was that $47. Anybody tonight, anybody getting that with me? Like, boom, is anything clicking in anyone's mind? See, you see, you have to understand this. Grace goes beyond simply paying the price, as I said last week. Grace is more than just saving you and paying the price for your sin, for your mistake. Grace goes beyond just simply saying, I'm going to take care of the penalty that that person owes, even though they deserve to pay the penalty. Grace says, I'm not just going to pay the penalty for you, but you're going to walk out of here with more than you ever imagined. And grace is set up in such a way that when it happens, when God exhibits his grace over his people, usually the people around you, for the most part, will say, that is not fair. That's, that, that's not fair. Like she didn't have to pay the price and she walked out of there with a boatload of money. She stole. She did something wrong. Now, granted, you can talk about her life situation, but he, he, he paid the fine. He paid the penalty. Wasn't that enough? And if you think that way in your Christian life, then you get saved and you go nowhere beyond that because you've only allowed God to pay the penalty and you've been able to receive that and you receive salvation. But beyond receiving the penalty being paid for you, beyond seeing that wage of death that we were all due for our sin paid and taken care of at the cross, if you don't allow God to go beyond that, you can never enter in to the grace of God. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for that. <laughs> See, that's what God healed you tonight because you're treating the, the pastor tonight, all right? Nice. I'm just kidding. So grace is that extra amount. Grace is the thing that just goes beyond what we think is fair. Grace takes what we think is, is enough and just blows it out of the, the, I mean, just goes beyond. Just, what? 
Grace says, I didn't just pay the price, but I also want to bless you. And so I want to show you that story in the word of God in a different way in Matthew 20. How many of you work? That's, I mean, that's not like, I'm not like trying to like call out the people that don't work, all right? You work. How many, have, let me do this, all right? We're going to be really politically correct tonight. How many of you have ever worked? All right. That's everybody. How many of you have ever worked and received a wage? Cool. Then you're going to identify with the story. What about you guys? Here's some of the kids here tonight. Have you ever worked? What about an allowance? You've never gotten an allowance? Buddy, you need me to negotiate your deal with your parents, okay? <laughs> have you gotten an allowance? Yes? So your parents say, like, if you do good at this, or you get good report card, or you don't throw things at your sister, or whatever, then they're like, then we're going to give you this amount at the end of the week. You ever gotten that before? All right, cool. Then you know, you're going to be able to identify with this. Any other kids here? Basically, an allowance is your, your parents' version of slave labor. We won't go there, though, okay? I have a great attorney. Come see me later. <laughs> Starting in verse 1, Matthew 20, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landover who went, land, not a land rover, a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. I'm going to go through this quick because I know we're running out of time because we prayed for folks tonight and that's okay. When he agreed with the laborers, you know what? You can read this later. I'm going to tell you the story. It'll be quicker. How's that? <laughs> you just have to trust me. So a landowner decides he's going to hire some people to work on his property. Okay? This will be easy. Landowner decides he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna hire some people. And so in the beginning of the day, some folks show up that are willing to work on his property. And he says, I'm going to pay you. We're gonna, like, let's take an average wage today. Let's take $150 for a day or $100 or $120, whatever, $150. And he said to them, he said, I'm going to pay you each $150 for working today in my field. It was a long day. It was a 12-hour day. So they're making like, what, 12 bucks an hour, 12.33 or something like that to be exact. So he said, I'm going to pay $150 for working in my fields for 12 hours. And so they said, okay, cool. It's a deal. We'll work. So they went to work and they worked hard. Well, six hours later, he showed back up to the land and there was another group of people that wanted to work. And he said, hey, if you work, I'll make sure I take care of you. I'll pay you for your time. Get out there in the field and work. Well, three hours later, nine hours into the work day, some more folks showed up and they said, hey, we want to work. And he says, well, the day's getting shorter, but go out and work. I'll take care of you. I'll pay you for your time. Go out and work. Well, the 11th hour of the day, one hour before closing time, some more people came out and he said, hey, how come you guys aren't working? And they said, nobody hired us. And they said, we're willing to work. He said, there's one hour left. And they said, but if you're willing to work, I'll pay you. Get out there in the field and work. So after that hour went by and it was, it was time for the day to be over and the sun was going down, he, he told his, his, uh, his, his, his servant, the, the guy that was responsible for, for running the crew out there in the field, and he said, hey, gather all of them up. And he said, we're going to pay them, but we're going to start with the guys that, that, that came last. And we'll work our way to the guys that came early in the morning. And so when it came time to pay them, he didn't pay the guys at la that were last $12, $12 for their hour. He actually took $150 and he paid them for a day's worth of work. And then the folks that, that were there for nine hours, or for, they were only there for three hours, that came in the ninth hour, he paid them $150. And 
Then the guys that were, came at, at, at six hours into it, only worked six hours, he paid them $150. And the folks that were there all day, they must have been thinking, whoo, baby, if you pay the guy that was only here an hour, $150, surely, surely, I'm going to make more than that. And so he got to them and he said, here you go, here's your pay, $150 each. And they began to complain. And they said, what's the deal? You had guys that only showed up an hour ago, you paid them the same amount. And he said, but I fulfilled my obligation to you. I told you I was going to pay you $150 for the day. What's wrong? And they said, well, it's not fair. You paid the, the guy that's only here an hour and the guy that was only here three hours and the guys that were only here for six hours the same amount of money. You paid them $150. What's the deal? And he said, listen, it's my money. I did what I told you I was going to do. I kept my word. And he went on with the day. The Bible doesn't record what they commented. Now, why am I telling this story? I don't know. I'm going to send you home right now. Because this is a perfect picture of God's grace. Grace is, never, grace is, is always received, but it's never deserved. And I, and I, said, I told you that last week in a different way. This is a different example of that. Grace is just received, but it's not deserved. Grace is something that, that, that if you think you can earn it or deserve it, you're going to be disappointed. You can't like, when you receive God's grace in your life, when you walk in that, you can't like point back to a specific prayer or a specific thing that you said or did that allowed God's grace to enter your life. The only way to receive God's grace is to come to the understanding that you don't deserve it. And then just to go like this. I don't deserve it, but I'll take it. I mean, you only worked an hour. You only work three hours. You only work six hours. And they're dropping $150 on you. Now, when you're going from working 12, for $12 an hour to $150 an hour, we're talking about something, right? That's almost attorney's fees nowadays. And so the guy that worked an hour in the field and got $150, surely he didn't think to himself, I deserved $150 for, for, for tilling the ground for an hour. So he could have said to the master, he could have said, hey, I, I don't deserve this. But he wouldn't have understood grace. He could have said, just pay me 12. I only deserve 12. And maybe you and I would say that was, that was very honorable of him. But it was the master's prerogative to, de and to decide what he was going to give the person. And see, thank the Lord, because we would mess it up. Thank the Lord that we don't make the decisions on how much grace God gives us. Right? If, if we made decisions based on what we thought we were entitled to, some of us have such a low opinion of what we're entitled to that we would shortchange ourselves versus actually just letting God pour out on your life what he wants to pour out and not try to figure out whether or not you deserve it. I've seen God give people like through, through, through somebody, he didn't just like drop it from heaven, but I've seen people like get cars given to them, like brand new cars, and they're so weird out over it because they don't believe they deserve it. And I'm like, you don't. Get over it. Drive it. If you don't want it, I'll take it. But what is it inside of us that makes us think we don't, we, that because we don't deserve it, that we can't have it? Something else to consider, and I'm wrapping up here pretty soon. God's grace is always about mercy. It's not about fairness. See, his grace is motivated and fueled by his mercy and his love for us, not based on what's fair. And that's a good thing because if you and I got what we deserved, 
or what was fair. I won't speak for you because I don't know your life. If I got what I deserved and what was fair, I wouldn't be up here. I wouldn't have a wonderful wife and two beautiful kids. I wouldn't have what God's blessed me with if I got what I deserved or what was fair. Grace is never fair. It wasn't fair, quote unquote, for the one guy that worked 12 hours to get the same amount as the one that got worked one hour. It wasn't fair for your sister over here to only pick three weeds outside and you picked 300. She got paid the same amount of money? What's wrong with you guys? Why would you do that to him? Right? Well, you'd have something to say about that, right? You need to get paid because you're just as much of the sermon tonight as I am. Think about that. It wouldn't be fair. Any kid would be, the first thing out of our mouths when we were kids is, that's not fair, mom. And then when we turn 30, we say, that's not fair, boss. Grace is never fair. And when you're the recipient of that grace and you walk in it, and if you try to equate it to whether or not you deserve it or if it's fair, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Just receive it. Just look at the person next to you and say, receive it. I have more, but I'm, I'm going to wrap this up quick. The last thing is this. Grace, now this, this point here needs to be heard by all of you before we leave tonight. Grace is for the last as much as it is for the first. Now, when I, when I preach this part, folks that, that maybe have been given God their life for 30 years don't like this part. Not all of them, just a small fraction of them that have never really received grace in their life. Because we work on such a merit-based society that we think the longer you've done something, the more time you've put in, the more, she, the more you should have. But God's grace is not like that. God's grace is, is a, a reflection of his heart towards you, not your resume or your merit or what you've done for him. I want to say that again. It is the reflection of his heart towards you. In other words, he gives his grace to you because of how he feels about you, not because of what you've done for him. So I'm just going to blow the, uh, I'm going to stand right in front of the, the main intercessor and I'm going to make her really mad. I'm just kidding. You can't pray your way into grace. You can't give your way into grace. That's going to blow the tel televangelists out of the water, Right? Because they, they think that you can just give your way and God's grace is going to come. I hate to break the news to you. His grace doesn't come because you give. This is how you know I'm not a money-hungry preacher. It doesn't come because you give. It doesn't come because you pray. It doesn't come because you deserve it. It doesn't come because you jump through religious hoops. It doesn't come because you were a good boy or a good girl. It doesn't come for any of that. It's not fair and you don't deserve it. And it's not because you were the first one. And I've been being good boy for 15 years. And you poured your grace out on the guy who just got saved a week ago. And God's like, it ain't fair. It's my grace. It knows no boundaries. It makes no sense. Receive it. Amen? And do you know that I've watched people that have been saved for a week receive God's grace and let it work in their lives? And I've watched people that have been saved for 20 years never receive God's grace because they're worried about it's not fair, I should get more? 
So I don't care where you are in this process or this walk or journey with God. I don't care where you are in this process. If you've been to 19 seminary schools or you don't even know where the book of Genesis is. It's the first one. Okay. (laughs) You still get the same measure of God's grace for you. And that's what this story is talking about. So don't, don't not receive it because you don't think you deserve it or because you, de- you think you deserve something different. His grace, the Bible says that his grace is enough, which means that no matter what you're going through or what stage of the journey you're in, his grace is enough to see you through it, but you have to receive that grace in your life. Last point I want to make is this. God's grace is the purest expression of the revelation of Jesus here on the earth. I'm going to throw up one more scripture and I'll be done. Are you with me tonight? Are you okay? Anybody tired? It's okay. I'm sorry if you are. We'll get you out of here. I promise you. So let's check this out. Next scripture, Mr. Casey. The ones that, that I didn't read, go past those. Go to John. John 1. Check this out. And the word became flesh. This is talking about the revelation of God through his son here on the earth. This is God's, like, this is the whole enchilada. He's saying, listen, when the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, which means when Jesus showed up, when I finally fulfilled all of the promises and sent my son, God in man form here to the earth to represent me to you here on the earth, this is what it looked like. And we saw his glory Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. What, what did his glory look like? In other words, what did his countenance bring? What was the expression of Jesus here on the earth? Two things. He was full of grace and truth. What? If Jesus didn't come for any other reason, if he, did, he, he came here to die and to save you, But he lived here to express two things. His countenance, in other words, the environment around him brought two things. Truth and grace. Next thing, next scripture, same same chapter. John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said. He who comes after me has a higher rank than I for he existed before me. He's saying, listen, this this is what I've been talking about. This is what the prophets have been talking about. This is what we promised was going to come. What you've been waiting on is the Messiah and what he had to bring to us was these things. He was full of grace and he was truth. Now look at verse 16. And he says this, for of his fullness we have all received what? Now, I don't have the time to get into this, but I want to run around when I preach this. Think about this. He's saying, listen, when you receive the fullness of God, the fullness of God, in other words, everything that he is, everything that he has, everything that he expresses, his glory, his countenance, what he brings here to the earth is grace upon grace, which means when you think you've reached the end of his grace, you don't realize that when you peel that back, it's actually on top of grace. That's what grace upon grace means. It means like layers and layers and layers of grace. To where you think you've burned through a layer, underneath it's more grace. Anybody excited about this? I know it's 8.58, but anybody get excited about that? Right? This is like freedom. Read the next one. For the law was given through Moses... That grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. In other words, he's connecting here. He's saying, listen, from the Old Testament 
all of the, the laws, all of, all of that, all of the promises and the, what the prophets have told and the laws that were followed. The Bible says that Jesus fulfilled the law. Well, how did he fulfill the law? The fullness of the fulfillment of the law was what? It was grace. And it was realized through him. In other words, the purest expression of Jesus here on the earth can be defined, and I, 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 I hate to do this to you, and I'm just going to throw this out there, because we talk about a lot of things about Jesus. And his love is what kept him on the cross and put him there and all that. But the Bible says that, the, if, in other words, if I had to boil down the purest definition of Jesus and why he came here, it would be this right here. Now, I know people don't like that, but I didn't write it. I don't know why they don't like it, because grace is the greatest thing that you can ever have. His grace that he has for you. It says, it was realized through Jesus Christ, grace and his truth. Truth's another sermon, we can get to that. But I want to show you that the expression of God here in the earth was grace upon grace. In other words, layers and layers and layers of his grace. Cool? So as I close, it's nine, and I hate to go that late, but it's just one of those days. I want you to be encouraged tonight as we leave here that we, 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 we continue. Uh, uh, this Sunday I won't be speaking on grace, but I'll be hitting it here and there. This is not me giving, this is not, you know, people paint this, and I, I went over this a week ago, try to paint. Anytime you talk about grace, they, they want to caution you that you're going to give people permission to go crazy and go out there and do this, that, and the other. Listen, I'm encouraging you to receive the fullness of Jesus in your life. In other words, when I say receive the fullness of Jesus, that means I'm encouraging you to fully understand and receive all that Jesus is in your life. And here's the thing, no matter what your theology is or whether you think I'm right or wrong, if you receive the fullness of Jesus in your life, you're gonna be a heck of a lot better than you are now. And that's the point. Amen? Anybody ever get more of Jesus and be like, that? Ah, this is not that great. It's just not that great. It's not as good as I thought it was gonna be. No, when you get the fullness of Jesus in your life and you begin to live your life according to a recognition of who he is and what he wants to do and how he feels about you and, and you respond to that with your life, I don't have to tell you the do's and don'ts anymore because your love for him and your understanding of his grace and truth compel you to live in such a way that I don't get to give you a list of do's and don'ts and give you permission to do this or don't do that. You will live your life in a way where you're the expression of the very being of who you are is, 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 is righteousness and purity and holiness because the goodness of God is what leads people to repentance. And the goodness of God is what will lead you out of the, 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 the laundry list of things you can and cannot do to living a life that's holy and righteous before him where you're literally just surrounded by the grace of God and that's where we're all trying to go amen hey stand up let's pray together and for Jim for Alex and for Ronnie tonight it was a beautiful expression of God's love and grace towards you as he healed you tonight Make sure you go to the doctor and you tell us what happened. We can celebrate that with you and give all honor to Jesus. Father, we thank you tonight for this message on grace. And God, as we leave here tonight, we want to just embrace all that you have for us. Lord, this is not about 
uh, anything else other than just in really stretching our understanding and our mind of who you are in our life, that we would have such a clear understanding of how you feel about us, Lord, and, and Lord, what, what you want to do with our lives and how we can walk this, this out here on the earth. And so, God, as we explore these scriptures, it's not to uncover or to embarrass our theology, Lord, but it's to, it's to expand and to, to ever be growing in understanding of who you are. And so, God, I thank you tonight for the clarity in your word. As we leave here, Lord, let us embrace the grace of God that you have, grace upon grace for our lives. Lord, in these stories that we told tonight, Lord, the story of uh, Lord, the landowner here that we talked about, Lord, that we realize that we, we don't deserve it. And God, that we, we uh, it doesn't matter if we're first or last, that Father, your grace is sufficient for us and it's available. And it's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. We don't, it doesn't need to be fair. We just need to receive it. So God, I ask you bless your people as they leave here tonight. And Father, we just thank you for a night together as a family of believers and excited about what you're going to do on Mother's Day as as we celebrate moms and we collect diapers for to celebrate teen moms and teen parents and Lord as we express our love for the mission field through a missions offering and just get together and worship your name we just ask that you're here and bless us in Jesus name and everyone says amen, amen. God bless you we'll see you Sunday morning